Uh, so this is Steve Larson. He's my dad. And I want to take a moment and pray for him, and then I'll hand it over for the preach. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in, um, in this world, Lord, even though it is a, a challenging and difficult and for some even a desperate time, we know that you are at work and we, we see it and we praise you for it. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for wisdom. Uh, thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for this opportunity for us to, uh, to hear wisdom applied and what it looks like for us to live uh, life in marriage and family in those contexts by living out your way. Uh, so we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Well, I am so excited to be coming into your home and sharing with you a little bit about what God has to say from Proverbs and other scriptures about the family. It's interesting that society in today's age seems to be giving up on the family. Right now, over 7.5 million couples are living together outside of marriage. This is up 138% since 1990. 40% of the unmarried households have children. And not only in the society around us, and, and my perspective may be skewed because I, I do a lot of counseling, but I see a lot of even Christians who are disappointed in marriage and the family, and uh, they seek escape. So here's my prayer. Number one, that you will keep the big picture of your role as husband, wife, parents, and children, and not get, not get beaten down by the day-to-day -day problems. I had a friend who always used to say, the problem with life is it's so daily. And what he meant by that is we all start life with big ideas and big dreams, but then the day-by-day -day process of life kind of beats us down, and we just start living to survive rather than living to actually please God and thrive in his kingdom. There are two words that come to my mind as I think of what I'd love to see happen in your life. Number one is intentional, and number two is proactive. Intentional means to do the actions and words that you do deliberately and not as kind of a knee-jerk reaction. I hear so many people who will respond in an ungodly way and then they kind of throw out their hands and they say, ah, oh, that's just the way I am. Hey, that's not an excuse anymore because if you're a child of God, the grace of God is working in you to transform you and he wants to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. So be intentional about what you say and how you behave so that those words and actions are learning to or beginning to uh, reflect the work that God is in you rather than just your old nature. The second word, proactive, I love being proactive because the opposite of proactive is being reactive. And that's waiting till something happens and then deciding, oh man, I'm going to try to figure out what to do in this situation. Proactive says, I'm going to anticipate the situation. I'm going to look and see problems, maybe even before they come up. And I'm going to begin to act so that I can influence and speak into those situations before they become a crisis. So that's kind of what we're thinking is learning how to live our lives with thought and discernment and discretion rather than just kind of trying to bumble our way through life. The gospel idea of marriage and of this message 
is that one of the most important things we can do to spread the gospel is to live as husband and wife and family in a way that both reflects the love of Jesus Christ and builds the next generation of Christ followers so that they can continue the spread of the gospel. What is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing life, people, and circumstances from God's perspective. Seeing life from God's perspective means that you're going to live with eternity in mind rather than just this life. And I don't know if you've ever seen Francis Chan's rope illustration, but it's brilliant. As you hear Francis Chan speaking, he's got this rope that is on the pulpit and it goes all the way off the stage to where you can't see it anymore. And about this much of the rope is colored in red. And what Francis Chan shares is that the red part is your life on this earth. The rest of the rope is eternity. And it just is so brilliant because it shows in such a vivid way, wow, should I be living for this much of my existence or should I be living for this much of my existence? So wisdom in life is living with eternity in mind. Seeing people from God's perspective means two things. Number one, you're going to see people as created in the image of God and therefore worthy of respect. But number two, you're going to learn to judge people by character and not by wealth or personality or appearance. One of the implications of seeing circumstances from God's perspective is you will start to see circumstances and difficulties and challenges not as terrible things in your life, but as wonderful tools of God to shape and strengthen and purify your faith. So wisdom is going to give us an entirely different perspective on life. And I just want to share with you, this perspective really comes from God's word. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. People, we are not going to come to God's wisdom through this world or through our own reasoning. We're going to come to God's wisdom through his word. Before I jump into the meat of the message, I just want to talk to some people in different categories because this message is all about family. And if you're single, you might be thinking, oh, I might as well turn off the TV. There's nothing here for me. But God has some great messages for you in terms of how he wants to prepare you and shape you if he has a family in your future. For those of you who are uh, divorced, we're going to be talking about the fact that the family is for life. And you might say, oh my goodness, I've already blown it. I've already gotten divorced and perhaps even remarried. But the great news is God's grace and mercy brings total and complete forgiveness. And no matter what's gone on in your life in the past, from here on out, God can use you in a powerful way to even show the blessings of life and marriage and family as long as you begin to choose obedience now. And a message to those who are married and without children. I know there's many of you who desperately want children and you almost kind of feel like half a family without children. I want you to know God views you as a family. 
when he created Adam and then he created Eve and he said the two will become one flesh, God was creating family right there before any children came into the picture. So if you're married and without children, God has a role for you in this world, a missional role, even without children. So we'll be talking a lot about parenting and children, but don't let that make you feel like a second-class citizen. God has an amazing place for you. As we move forward, I want you to understand Satan hates the family. And because the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2.2, it calls him the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4, it makes sense that this world system is going to hate the family as well. And we see that all over the place. It's amazing that that what you look at in this world is you see people viewing the nuclear family as something that is archaic. It, It doesn't make any sense anymore. If you see families at all on television, you see the father is inept or bumbling or kind of a doofus who has nothing to say to the kids. Or you don't see a nuclear family at all. You see a blended family. You see a lot of single parent families. You see families with with crazy uh, things going into those families. But you don't see a healthier nuclear family where people are actually living and loving together. Today, less than half of all children are living with two two parents in their first marriage. In 1960, that statistic was two-thirds of children. So you can see fewer and fewer children are living in the family that is God's ideal, which is a man and his wife in their first marriage raising their children for the glory of God. So what is God's take on marriage? Marriage is marred and it's scarred by our sin, but God still sees marriage as the fundamental unit of our society. And this is so important, and Satan has caught on to this, and as he has tried to destroy the family, what's happening is society around us is beginning to deconstruct. There's a, there's a falling apart or corrupting of this society because the unit that holds society get together, the family, is also falling apart. So the key point, as we move into your role as husband, wife, mom, dad, child, and the family, the point is not your happiness. I know that sounds un-American to think that, oh, God wants me happy. We hear people saying that all the time. But the point of following Christ is not your happiness. What you'll discover is that joy will be a wonderful byproduct of obeying Christ. But if you're seeking your own happiness with that kind of self-centered motivation, you're going to find that that actual seeking for happiness gets in the way of your experiencing the joy that wants you to experience. As we go to the book of Proverbs, I want you to understand the book of Proverbs sees the family as the key unit for imparting wisdom to the next generation. So let's look and see a couple of principles that are important for us to pass on to our next generation. Number one, the teaching of God's word is that family is for life. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I love this because when God created man, 
He did it in such an intimate, wonderful way. He actually molded man from the dust of the earth. And then in a face-to-face gesture, he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. But even in that intimacy that God created between God and man, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Man needs somebody to complement him, to fit him. And so in Genesis 2, 19 through 24, God created Eve, the first woman. And when Matthew or when Adam saw that, he said, wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I have somebody who corresponds to me. And he says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then in verse 24, Moses comes in and expands on the importance of this historical event. He says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. What a beautiful picture of living together in intimacy. Marriage is not an idea of man. Marriage is an idea of God. And the family is created by God. In Matthew 19, Jesus affirms this truth that Moses talked about. Jesus, in answering a question about divorce, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This is the words of Jesus Christ. And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his mother or his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he adds, What God has joined together, let no man separate. So the teaching of Scripture is for life. And what's interesting is the disciples who were listening to Jesus down in verse 10, their response is, oh, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, who can be married? Most of the disciples were already married and they knew how hard it was to be married. And they knew that this idea of being married for life is difficult. I've been more, more, uh, married for 43 years. And I got to tell you, marriage is hard but it's also great. It's kind of true with everything in life. The things that are great are also hard and vice versa. I love Connie more than I've loved her at any point in my life. And yet we've had to go through a lot of hills and valleys to move to that point. And we keep moving further and further every day. All right. So family is for life. Again, if you're divorced, you can still teach your children about that. And I would encourage you as a mom or a dad to own that fact and to own the fact that, you know what? God created marriage for life. We didn't do it, but now in our relationship, we are attempting to build a relationship that's going to last for our lifetime. And kids, we want to encourage you to begin to think in those terms of you're not just marrying a girlfriend for three or four years or a boyfriend for a few years. You're marrying a life faith partner. So let's go to Proverbs and talk about the message that God has for us. Because family is not only for life, but it's the place where father and mother are going to learn wisdom and intentionally and consistently teach it to their kids. And the question I would ask you, mom and dad, as we go into this, is have have you as mom and dad sat down and said, this is the truth we want to build into our children? So listen to Proverbs 1, 1 through 3. 
from the New Living Translation. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Verse 3 is key. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. Boy, parents, if you have children who grow up and begin to live that way as adults, they may not be financially successful. They may not reach all of the heights of the world that they dreamed of, but you're going to be happy with them because you're going to see them moving forward in their life in a way that pleases God. Now, I want to read to you a series of real quick proverbs that talk about the importance of mom and dad in communicating wisdom to their children. Verse 8 and 9 of chapter 1. My child, listen to when, when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. When you learn that what you learn from them will crown you with a grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. So the Proverbs teaches us that both mom and dad have important wisdom to communicate. Chapter 2, verse 1. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. This is father speaking to child. My child, Proverbs 3, 1, my child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Proverbs 4, 1, my children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. Proverbs 5, 1, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen, listen carefully to my wise counsel. Proverbs 7, 1, follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. So throughout the first seven chapters of Proverbs, we see a message from father and mother to their children. I want to turn that around a little bit because you could think, oh, the Proverbs wants me as mom and dad to be wagging my finger at my children and telling them what to do. Well, there's something that needs to go on before that. Dad and mom you guys need to be searching the scriptures and growing in wisdom yourself and having in mind what truth, values, morals, and judgments and character you want to be communicating to your children through your life. This is actually the most important contribution you can make to your children is to teach their wisdom. Teach them wisdom. So here, here's where we go forward from here. I want to look a little bit at how do we do that? How do we actually build wisdom into, into our children's lives? Number one, be a seeker of wisdom yourself. Mom and dad, I don't care how old you are. I hope you're still growing and learning how to walk with Jesus, how to live with him, how to treat other people, how to respond to trials, how to respond even to each other when you're not agreeing. All of these things are a part of wisdom. And so if you want your children to be seekers of wisdom, you have to be moving in that direction. You have to be a seeker of wisdom yourself. Second principle, model. Luke 640 gives me the scariest principle I've ever learned. Jesus said, the student or the disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Let's apply that to parents and children. The children, when they are fully trained, will be like their parents. 
I always wished it would have said, will be like their parents tell them to be. That would have been my goal. Hey, just don't worry about what I do. Just listen to what I say and do that and you'll be just fine. Kids never do that. They will follow your example. My dad was a, a, a great dad and he was not as verbal as I wish he would have been sometimes. But you know what? I still remember every night about seven or eight o'clock, I could see him in the living room chair. He had a Bible in one hand and he had his notebook in the other hand and he'd be studying God's word and he'd be taking notes. My dad taught me to love God's word. He didn't run around yelling at me, hey, love God's word, love God's word, love God's word. He just showed me by how he lived that he loved God's word. The most important training you will ever do as a parent is your example. They will learn how to treat each other by how you treat your wife or your husband. They will learn how to value things by what you value. I want to encourage you to actively and intentionally evaluate the model, the example that you're giving to your children. Principle number three, learn God's word as a family. Uh, some of you might have family devotions and that's fantastic. You're a better dad than I was. I could never do family devotions. I just wasn't disciplined enough. I wasn't consistent enough. Uh, we did a lot of things right. We, we memorized scripture together. We, we talked about everything from a perspective of God's word, but we struggled in having the regular family devotions. And so uh, if you can do that, that's great. The important thing is to take Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. We won't read it by now, right now, but use it as a model for how you communicate your to your children. God says through Moses, hey, when you're walking on the path, talk about these things. When you're going here, talk about these things. When you're at a soccer game, Moses didn't actually refer to a soccer game, but we can put that in there. When you're at a soccer game, talk about these things. All of the different things that are going on in your life, bring God into that space and communicate how God is controlling and directing you in that space. So figure out how you're going to do it as a family. How are you going to learn God's word? And some of you may feel totally inadequate at doing this. And let me give you just two real simple suggestions. If you don't know what else to do, as a family, listen to the live stream when Matt preaches. And then sit down as a family and say, hey, what did we hear? What did we learn? And don't just go by what you heard and learned, but actually look up the scriptures that Matt refers to and read them for yourselves, and build them into your family culture. How should we live in light of what we've heard and what we've studied together today? Another way, if you don't know what to do, find a mentor. Find somebody who is a little bit further down the road than you are. They don't even have to be that much further down the road. But find someone a little further down the road and say, hey, would you help me help my family to learn God's word together? You'd be amazed how maybe that person will say, well, I don't know what to do. And maybe you can figure out, oh, okay, let's learn together. And you can actually stimulate the guy or the girl that you're asking to be your mentor. Fourth principle. So first, we said we need to be a seeker of wisdom ourselves. Second, we need to be models. Third, we need to be learning God's word together as a family. Fourth principle. Decide intentionally what it is you're going to build into your children. 
I'd like to share a, a YouTube video with you for you to look up sometime and and listen to. Most of you probably heard it, but it's a SEAL team commander by the name of uh, Admiral McRaven. And he gave this brilliant uh, commencement address of 10 principles he learned from life through SEAL team training. And it is not only incredibly wise, but there it is amazingly entertaining because he's going through all of the facets of SEAL team training and he learned a lot about life from that. The title of the address is First Make Your Bed. That's kind of hilarious because I grew up never making my bed one day in my entire adult, uh, junior and adult life. And as we went through, Connie would say, hey, would you make the bed? And my response was, we're going to sleep in it that night. Why should I make it? And we had this kind of back and forth. And when I heard this address, I actually said, I got to start making my bed. So Connie and I have this uh, little competition. Whoever gets up first, the other person has to make the, the bed. So it really has motivated me to get up early. But it also, when I don't, I actually make the bed. And you know what he said? And what he said is exactly true. You start off your day with an accomplishment. I can't believe what a difference that makes. Ah, I did something. The very first thing I did when I woke up, I actually accomplished something. And I now I understand what all of society has been teaching for 2,000 years. Make your bed. And it took an admiral and the SEAL team to do that. But I would encourage you there... There are 10 principles he gives. The last principle is my favorite. Never give up. You know, as a family, you will hit the wall so many times and you almost wonder if you can even get through it. And these words, never give up, speak of the character quality of perseverance. When you can't do anything, take one more step. And when you don't think you can take one more step, you take one more step. And so I'm not, I'm not suggesting that his 10 principles are what everybody should copy. What I am saying is that you and I, as sources of wisdom for our children and now in my life for our grandchildren, we need to have in our minds, and actually for me, I've actually put these things on paper. What are the things when I have opportunities that I want to communicate my, to my children? This is too important to be accidental. This must be intentional. And let me give you about five things that I would encourage you to pour into your children's lives. Number one, teach your children a humble learning spirit that seeks wisdom. How do you teach your children to be learners? By showing that you're a learner yourself. Parents, can I suggest one thing? When you make a mistake, verbally and explicitly own up to, to your children. Don't blunder through as if you don't make mistakes. Because that what that teaches your children is, oh, the way to respond to a mistake is to try to cover it up. And again, children will learn from what you do more than from what you say. The second way you communicate that by this way 
is sharing with your children what it is that you've learned in life. And again, what a challenge. You might be saying, well, I'm not learning anything in life. Well, go back to step one. Learn something so that you can share it. All right, number two. Teach your children the ability to judge people. I know a lot of you are going to throw up your hands and go, oh no, I, we taught we're never supposed to judge anyone. By the way, Matthew 7, 1 is the most misunderstood and misinterpreted verse of the Bible where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. Because verses 2 through 5 goes on and tells us how to exercise discernment in other people's lives. We're not to judge in the sense of condemning people, but we are to make judgments about the kind of people that we're with. Just two things. Number one, help your children learn how to judge people by their character. I have a little philosophy about high school. It's the more successful and popular a person is in high school, the less successful they're going to be in life. You know, the quarterback and the cheerleader, and if you're a cheerleader, forgive me, uh, but people who seem to catch the eye of popularity and of sort of fame in high school, there's an inverse relationship that the nerd that they made fun of going through high school is the guy they're going to be working for in real life. So I want to encourage you to teach your children, don't look at a person by how popular he is or by how talented physically he is or how good of an athlete he is or how beautiful they are. Teach your children to look at character. I've always said to couples who are dating, you date personality, but you marry character. And so that guy is so cute and so funny and makes you laugh all the time. Once you marry him and you discover his character, you realize you married a flake. All right. And now you're going to have to learn how to work around all of that. And so as a single person, to be able to look at a person's character, well, I have, and I'll be publishing the notes with all the scriptures uh, on the website, but there's just hundreds of scriptures in the, pro, in the Proverbs that teach us to be very careful about evaluating the character of the people that we entrust our friendships to. Number three, teach your children discretion. The word discretion is a fabulous word. It's the ability to know when to talk and when not to talk. You know, you're getting in an argument with your wife and emotions are rising or you're with your husband and you're about to pop something out. Discretion is that ability to put a thought block on your speech. And you might even learn to say, you know what, I'm feeling emotions that I'm having trouble controlling right now. I need to take a break before we re-engage in this conversation. That's discretion. Or your kids come home late and you just want to unload on them and be angry with them for what they're doing rather than hearing first and then responding in wisdom. Discretion is, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm going to stop my reactions and I'm going to, as James 1.19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. You know, parents, just one little tip. When you get really angry and out of control with your kids, they don't walk away thinking, 
wow, I really did a wrong thing. They walk away thinking my parents are out of control. And so you take the focus off what they did, which you want them thinking about, and you put the focus on your inappropriate response, which is not where you want their thoughts. So discretion, that ability to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Number four, a continuing dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. Parents, if you teach your children to learn how to walk by the Spirit on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, you're setting your kids up to have the power they need to face any situation they will ever encounter. Finally, godly character. And again, I'll have the scriptures where you can find these to train your children. But if you can teach your children that the journey towards adulthood is actually a journey towards building a block, a wall of character upon character, and it starts with diligence. Diligence is that wonderful quality that says, no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to do my best. I will be honest with you, I never had that quality as I was growing up. And as I became an adult, I had to come to the point where I had to develop something that I should have developed a long time ago. Diligence. Things like moral excellence or virtue or integrity. Things like self-control, the ability to say no to yourself so you can say yes to God. Perseverance. All of these qualities are going to lead you to a life that 2 Peter 1 says is going to guarantee you success in the eyes of God. So as we kind of wrap things up, I just want to share two thoughts with you. Number one, if your focus is on finding your happiness, you're on the wrong road. That's the road of this world. And it doesn't work. Jesus said, if you want to follow me or if you want to come after me and be my disciple, first, deny yourself. Second, take up your cross. In other words, die to yourself on a daily basis. And third, follow me. And I want to encourage you that a husband or a wife in your family, whatever your role is, get to that point where you are committed to following Jesus more than you are committed to your happiness. God bless you guys. And as we close, I want to encourage you to take time now in our worship to, again, set your focus on God and realize the God we are talking about is the God who has loved us and shown us his grace. We also worship through the giving, and I want to encourage you to be generous to the ministry of Anthem because God is doing great things through this church. And thirdly, I want to encourage you to prayer. All of the details for prayer are on the screen here. I want to encourage you that if you need prayer for anything in your life, to take time to call and let people pray for you. God bless you, and thank you for letting me speak into your life.